0: Wherever you are, hello. This is Richard Lanford. I'm the redheaded preacher of the Redheaded Preacher Podcast. I'm also the pastor and teacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. This Sunday is September 18th, 2022. It is our, at, where we are, we're in central daylight time, and the service is at 10 o'clock, if that helps you imagine anything. If you listen to this later, which, of course, you have to because this is a delayed uh, delayed process. This passage in Luke that I will be preaching on, as I say in the beginning of the sermon, is one I've never preached on to my recollection, ever. And it was because it was too hard, I didn't want to deal with it. And it is a, a difficult passage, but I thought, couple of things before I die. you know. One is I want to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl. And two, it was time to preach on this passage, challenge myself. So it might be a little challenging for you as well because there are some times of teaching in the sermon for which I do not apologize, it's just a heads up. And also my goal is always to not only teach when that's what the message needs and the parable needs, but also to try to apply to how we live our lives under God and the applications of uh, what we might be able to learn from the shrewd. And our spiritual lives, of course, are how we live our lives in relationship to other people, to the planet, as well as to God. Fair warning, not being a real scholar of Shakespeare, the title... Has nothing to do with Shakespeare's The Taming of the Shrew, but I thought it was a catchy title and I hope it'll catch and keep your interest throughout. The next voice you hear will be that of our lector, Rich Schneider.
1: Our initial reading is from the book of the prophet Jeremiah from chapter 8 verse 18 through and including chapter 19 verse 1. The Lord has had harsh words and warnings for the people of Judah, and in these words, Jeremiah lets his feelings about this very difficult calling. It's not for nothing he is sometimes called the weeping prophet. At one point early on, we hear God speaking back with a pointed question. It begins, though, and otherwise is, the words of Jeremiah. My joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick. Hark, the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of my poor people I am hurt, I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water, and my eyes a fountain of tears, so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. This ends the reading from the prophet. Our epistle lesson is 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 7. It may help us to remember the context of the threat of persecution as we hear some of what Paul wrote. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God. There is also one mediator between God and humankind. Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all, this was attested at the right time. For this I was appointed a herald and an apostle, I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This ends the first of the reading from 1 Timothy Will those who are able please stand for the reading of the Gospel. As I said, this comes from the Gospel according to Luke. It is chapter 16, verses one through 13. This follows after Jesus has told the three parables of the lost being found for the benefit of the scribes and Pharisees. This is no longer the case. Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that, when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, And how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, They may welcome you into the the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Here ends the reading of the Gospel and the scripture for this morning's service. May God grant us a wise and generous understanding of this the word of the God of life for the life of the people of
0: God. I think in all my years of preaching, I have never preached on this passage in Luke. Particularly the parable. When I followed the lectionary and it showed up, I would have two great passages in Jeremiah and 1 Timothy to preach from instead. So I avoided it. I agree with George Caird in his commentary on Luke when he wrote... The parable of the dishonest steward bristles with difficulties, which have given rise to a great variety of conjectural explanations. Last Sunday afternoon, I decided it was time to tackle this odd, confusing parable at last. Anyway. Now, I was taught in Intro to Preaching that I have to be careful about my topic and the opening of a sermon. As Dr. McLeod told us, most people do not come to church and sit down in their pews just bursting to hear all about the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Perizzites, and the Hittites. Rest assured that digging into this parable, my goal is to share with you how it can apply to our lives of faith and practice. In other words, how the taming of the shrewd, so to speak, can help you and me in St. Peter's United Church of Christ. And I found something that, first of all, made the whole parable more understandable on the surface, in addition to Carolyn Winfrey Gillette's text, was to take a slightly different take, which is fine. And what I'm referring to here is the translation by Clarence Jordan found in his Cotton Patch Gospels. It sounds a little fresher than the new RSV, despite its being written, over 50 years ago and in the dialect, as he wrote it in, of 1950s Georgia. Here's his version of the parable. He said to his students, once there was a rich man who hired a manager for his business. Later, he got wind that the manager manager was making a mess of things. So he called him in the office and said, what's this I'm hearing about you? Let me have your accounts, so I can see if you can be manager around here any longer. The manager went out and thought it over. What shall I do, seeing as how my boss is taking my job away from me? I'm not able to do physical labor, and I'm, not ashamed. I'm too ashamed to go on welfare. I've got it. I'll fix it, so that when I'm fired as manager, they'll still welcome me into their places of business. So he called up each one of his boss's customers and said to the first one, how much do you owe my boss? And he replied, I owe him for 900 gallons of oil. All right, said the manager, we'll settle the account if you sit right down and write us a check for 450 gallons, okay? Then he said to another, and you, how much do you owe? He replied, for 1,000 bushels of wheat. The manager said, just write us a check for 800 in full settlement. And the boss gave the crooked manager credit for pulling such a swift trick. You know, pagan businessmen are smarter than Christians in conducting their affairs. So I'm telling you, get yourselves some friends among the money boys, so that when you fall flat on your face, they might invite you into their offices to give you some advice well I hope you found that as as worth listening to as I did reading it last week there are some problems with it however Jesus said in the new RSV and I tell you make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth some of us older folk are expected here by means of unrighteous mammon so that when it is gone they may welcome you into the eternal homes. If these characters in the parable are children of this age, as contrasted to the children of light, as Jesus said, and as followers of Jesus, how do the children of this age, or that age too, welcome the children of light into eternal homes? Eternal homes do not automatically carry over from being welcomed into plush offices of the children of this age. Such a straight-ahead rendering from Clarence Durden also might lead some of us to ask, would the boss really commend the dishonest steward for his acting shrewdly? He lost goods in kind, which ingratiated the steward with the customers, yes, but would the boss, who he do know from the very beginning of the parable was rich would he applaud this guy for his being true oh you're so clever and crooked that's to be admired even though you cost me half the oil i was due and a bunch of the wheat just asking maybe the mammon lovers are more likely to applaud each other's swindling ability even at their own expense Well, Jesus seems to be, his point seems to be what he said at the end. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Make friends... For yourselves by means of dishonest wealth. Well, make friends for yourselves. Jesus is talking about relationships formed outside the community of disciples, including as the cotton patch version said, among the money boys. Part of the text of our closing hymn is based on the relationship angle of the parable between those who love mammon and those who love Christ. Thus, perhaps Jesus is, he's ta- what he means is us learning from them, but applying the lessons to live as children of the light. So eternal homes will indeed be waiting for them slash us. One commentator even suggested that where it says they may welcome you into the eternal homes, the they really means God. As you and I might learn from the shrewdness displayed, or what triggers it, we take what is theirs and make it ours. We tame the lessons of the cheaters. So in a way, for our spiritual health, we tame the shrewd. Now, there is something I have not told you yet. Let's remember some historical context. The early church, finding life hard because some people did leave their families or were cut off from their families because of their choice to follow Christ, and others not being welcomed by other groups in the empire. In this situation, as the New Testament reflects, the early church was expecting the return of Christ at any time. The eschaton. Even Jesus sometimes spoke as if it were imminent. They lived, as one writer put it, in crisis then. Time to make decisions, judgments, and be urgent about how we live while still alive on earth. Future security would be a common thing to think about in the face of possible persecution and also as in being welcomed into the eternal This is a crisis time for the disciples and guess what it is also a crisis time for the money manager what did he do in his crisis which if we make friends with folks like that we may learn something well one basic solution to understanding the parable has a long preamble explanation which I read and to present it to you would sound more like a lecture and send your minds drifting elsewhere, perhaps dreamland, if they have not drifted elsewhere already. But I'm going to skip the long, detailed, reasonable explanation by the late George Caird and give you, as I said, one basic way to interpret this parable for us. The account manager was in crisis mode. As a child of that generation, not of the light, at least not yet, looking to finances alone as his security. He figured a way to deal with his fearful and uncertain situation. He came up with the idea of making those deals with the boss's customers at his expense, at the boss's expense, to develop a good relationship with them in the future. Remember I talked about how relationships are key to the parable. How can Christians tame the shrewd and apply something from how he reacted and how it was received to our lives and practice of faith. Well, Professor Caird summarized this approach. I quote, "'The point is that worldlings like this, the children of the world, cope with an emergency in their temporal affairs with a far-sighted realism and a resourceful acumen Which religious folk, the children of light, would do well to emulate in the pursuance of their spiritual calling. To cope with an emergency in temporal affairs or temporary earthly crises with a farsighted realism and a resourceful acumen is something you and I could emulate in pursuit of our spiritual calling, which affects our whole lives. Our work for justice, our prayers for healing, all—you in our spiritual lives as we live it out. Our search for knowing God's will and the nurturing of the will to do it. It's not about cheating people or pursuing a job at the old boss's expense after getting canned. The master commends the manager for his shrewdness. So may the Lord commend us for our employing an urgency a far-sighted realism and resourceful acumen in growing in our spiritual lives, lives which include avoiding the temptation to serve mammon instead of God. The shrewd person's example, if not the shrewd himself or herself, gets tamed, so to speak, to serve disciples who find their security in Christ Jesus and have the same sense of urgency to draw nearer to Christ. Now George Caird offered a second interpretation, grounded in the belief that the Pharisees were still listening, as they were in chapter 15, because at the very end of 16, which we didn't have and Rich didn't read, well, they were, there's an exchange between them and Jesus, and it's about money. This interpretation gets into the weeds which I'm not going to, about the boss's dealings with his customers. And whether or not, from one Jewish business person to another, it was acceptable to charge interest. The Bible calls it usury. To another, from from the Bible says that, the Torah says that Jews are not to lend money to other Jews and charge interest. Some loopholes developed, which the rich man may have taken advantage of. This take implies that the Pharisees, who were generally well-off, too, were using those similar loopholes to skirt the clearer Torah teaching of not charging usury. In the manager's deals with the customers in the parable, what he did might have been seen by the customers as removing the usury from their debts. That would come across to the clients as... The money manager holding purely onto his religious principles, regardless of the landowner using the loopholes. And this take then says that Jesus was attacking those loopholes and the Pharisees who presumably also employed them to maintain their wealth. So, George Caird said the summary the parable is an attack on the petty, trivial, Methods of scriptural interpretation by which the Pharisees managed to keep their religious principles here are my religious principles from interfering with business and an appeal for wholehearted service to God. If worldly people like the steward and landlord can recognize in a crisis that their best interests will be served by keeping the good opinion of their neighbors and business people Religious people ought to be equally astute in keeping the good opinion of God. In closing, let us be urgent, farsighted, creative, and have a resourceful acumen like the manager, except in our pursuit of our spiritual calling, which affects our whole lives, doing God's will, if and when it conflicts with our own. And let us also realize that cutting corners with God is just that, our relationship with God will be served by keeping the good opinion of God, by our love and faith and service and doing the will of God. These are lessons you and I can learn from the shrewd, lessons to be tamed in service to our improving relationship with the God we know in Jesus Christ and with those to whom we bring the good news. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you were able to stay with me all through that one. It was a very full sermon, even though it was a little shorter in length. I hope I did not speak too quickly and make it harder to follow or even to understand my words, because that can be one of my failings, both of those, or either one. I'm glad I tackled the parable. I'm not sure I understand it a whole lot more, but I did find value in what I shared with the congregation and with you in the podcast. So again, my appreciation for listening. I believe that the next Sunday lectionary from Luke might be the parable of Lazarus and the rich man out of the Gospel of Luke but I don't have that information in front of me, so I'm going by my memory of what I saw when I looked ahead several days ago. But it's from Luke, and that is always interesting preaching. May God bless you, and may God bless your week. Amen.
1: Like what you've heard? hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to the Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.